Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts iHeartRadio and WeWork present Art of the Hustle, a podcast series designed to inspire you and your life's work. You know, it's like this light bulb went off. It's like, wait, you can create your own destiny? When you have a, a dream and a vision and a goal, I think you have to picture it. Like, you just have to surround yourself in an environment where like-minded people will give you that shot. This is Work Radio, a partnership between iHeartMedia and we work. This episode of Art of the Hustle is brought to you by Red Bull. We're super excited to have founder and CEO of Listener, Rodney Williams, with us. Rodney, why don't you tell us what Listener is, and then we'll go back to the beginning to figure out how you got here. Great. So Listener is the creator of a new standard for devices to connect using sound. Uh, we transmit data over high-frequency audio or audio that you can't hear from one device to the next. Um, super low power, uh, efficient, and can almost live and breathe in any device. That sounds super complex, and we'll have you break down what exactly that means, but why don't we start in the beginning? So you grew up in Baltimore in a family of blue-collar workers. Your parents worked really hard. They put you in private schools, and some of your classmates were came from really affluent families. How did this experience kind of shape your perspective on life? Well, you know, I think you get a couple different worlds when you— uh you take a bus from a, a pretty simple neighborhood and, and you kind of go to a private school and you get introduced to um, uh, just different peer sets. And, and honestly, I think that's what, you know, one of the first times that I, I got a chance to, you know, say like, you know, what, what does your dad do? I started to learn about people that actually built and created things. And I started to see that's where, that's where the real value, you know, these people or families that, that I, I got a chance to meet in that school, they were really value creators for, the, for their family. And I, and I think that's just what I wanted to go out and do. Um, and and y'all, they all did it, you know. You know, I remember uh, I had classmates that were, his dad was the uh, owner of Royal Farms. Wow. Uh, class, I mean, uh, Ben Carson's kids were my classmates. Uh, so, and, you know, it was interesting. It was interesting. But guess what? Everybody was builders. Everyone was creating things. And, and I wanted to go out and create things myself. So you've wanted to be an entrepreneur since a very young age. 
Yeah. I mean, the good thing is my, my, my parents um, were entrepreneurs, right? Uh, and in a very, very simple sense. My, my mom uh, had a, a beauty shop. Uh, my dad was that that uh, that handyman that could do everything. He was like half plumber, half carpenter, half electrician, uh, and uh, he did all that. Uh, so I mean, we we were always entrepreneurs. Um, if anything, uh, I think the, the, I learned a couple things from from both of my parents. I mean, my, my dad actually n- did not graduate high school, uh, and he actually would sneak into college, and that's how he learned how to read. He would just sit in class and, and learn. And he always, you know, learning is this this thing that we think that, you know, we have to kind of go out and get from a school or, or a piece of document. You know, learning is, is what you do each and every day. I learned how to learn, and but it was from hearing some of his stories about how he learned everything that he did and everything that he's learned. So, it was, uh, you know, as I looked in school and just what I wanted to become, um, that's just a, an important milestone. That's super interesting to me to hear you talk about learning, especially because you know, his experience sounds much different than yours because you end up with four degrees by the time you're 24. But what's super interesting about that piece is they're in completely different verticals, right? So you have one in economics, one in finance, one in supply chain, one in marketing. How did your understanding of all these different verticals help to shape you or mold you into the CEO you are now? Yeah, you know, it was, it was actually done on purpose. Uh, everyone... You know, you have mentors, you have people that try to advise you, and everyone almost advised me against it. But in my mind, you know, I wanted to I wanted to be a CEO. I wanted to be an executive. I wanted to be a leader of an organization. And for, for me, I wanted to learn everything about that, right? And when you think about my degrees, they, they follow that logic, right? Finance is extremely important uh, to, to kind of understand. You know, I, I, I literally... I was a financial analyst at one point. Uh, I could have went and got my CPA, right? It was, you know, I can build a financial model extremely well to, you know, we talk about economics. And, and really economics uh, is really kind of the, the study of, of just economies of scale and, and what does that mean and, and how does uh, just, the you know, the transfer of funds affect whatever it is you're doing. It's like a, a macro view of, of, of a number of different factors. And then supply chain it's really around, I got a product. How do I get my product to, to the end consumer? It's really everything along the step. Like, I always say, if I, if I was to say it a different way, it's about, hey, I have a concept for a product. How do I actually get it to in front of a customer? Um, and, then, and then ultimately marketing is, is the, 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 the way you tell a story to make that come to life. So they seem very different, but in my mind, I, I, it, those were all the functions that I thought were very, very important to help uh, drive an organization. And, I, I, you know, when someone puts a, a, sends me a financial model or, you know, I actually know, how, I know what's going on, right? I actually can manipulate it. I actually push back sometimes because uh, <laughs> it's probably not correct. But uh, these are just things that I just think that if you really want to be this person, you, you, sh- you, should, you should learn the things that you're bad at. I, I'm not, I hated math in school, but I did a lot of math. Because, you know, I was like, how, how do I really expect to um, lead an organization and, and not like math? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people avoid the things they're bad at and just try and focus on what they're good at. And it sounds like you did the opposite, which is I want to be well-rounded. I want to understand all facets of the business. And that's going to turn me into a powerhouse. Yeah, um, that, that was the goal. 
Awesome. So, okay, you start off in Baltimore, you go to Morgantown, then you bounce to D.C., and then post-MBA, you end up in Cincinnati as an intern at Procter & Gamble. Yes. Then you're writing digital patents for one of their clients, like Pampers. That sounds like something completely different than what we just talked about. Yes. How do you end up doing that? Well, you know, in school, this also around around uh, part of the reason why I did the many degrees. Um, I look at everything as a competitive set, and you know, at that time, you know, you would graduate undergrad, and even this at this time, and you may or may not get the job you ultimately want. Right? You're competing, um, uh, and I wanted to make myself competitive, so. You know, getting the the multi degrees was was really about being competitive, um, but also as I got into uh, Procter and Gamble, um, I was prior to Procter and Gamble, I had done uh, business development for Lockheed Martin, and I had my first internship was actually at the National Energy Technology Laboratory, and how I even got into that world is that I, all my engineer friends in college were getting jobs and internships. So I joined this like this uh, student organization for engineers because it doesn't say like you don't have to not be an engineer. And I started to go to the engineering career fairs. Now, the great thing about going to an engineering career fair is that they're looking for engineers. But I was like the only non-engineer. So if they if they if someone there had an open position, guess who got it? And that's kind of what happened. That's honestly how I got my uh, internship at National Energy Technology Laboratory is how I met Lockheed Martin. Um, so I got really comfortable with engineers and technology, I, I like to say, um, during that time because I, I, I tended to support them. So as I got into P&G and marketing and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there again, another competitive moment. All right. You got the Harvard intern, the MIT intern. We, you know, you know, all the, the fancy MBAs, the Stanford guy and, and what, what they didn't understand at the level that I could understand is how technology was going to change the way we market, the way we get products to consumers, the, the way we need to rethink the, the models of how we sell products. And I, once I saw that, I had the advantage because I was like crazy enough to, to be bold there and they couldn't necessarily compete. That's basically how I got the job. When I, when I started full time, um, I, I got a lot of autonomy to go run digital for the company. Um, we, you know, I, I, I ran Pampers. We put the first brand at PNG on Facebook uh, and Twitter. Did the first mobile apps, wrote patents that that did really well. I mean, you know, I, I had a lot of autonomy there to do things like that. But it, it was because uh, number one, technology affects us all, right? And, and the moment companies figure out that all companies are technology companies, uh, I, that's just how I approach everything I do. So how long were you at P&G? So I was at P&G almost five years. Okay. Wow. And then what? You got the entrepreneurial bug. You end up on something called Startup Bus. What what was that? And why were you even on this Startup Bus? So I'm I'm at P&G and I'm creating new technology and 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 I'm touching consumers. I'm leading the business. I'm competing with the, the best marketers in the world. And I, I started to be around a lot of startups. I would bring in startups. Before there was a startup program, like you, if you found me somewhere and, and, and I thought I could use you in my business, I brought you to Cincinnati and, and, and I would try to do business with you. So um, uh, being around that, that creativity uh, got a lot of things going for me.
Um, and I started to just think of ideas. Uh, and then I, I remember I was just at work one day and I was thinking about sound and there was a couple other startups in the space and I was just thinking about like what sound could do. And uh, I had an idea that became Listener and uh, I, I went to my friend and he's like, hey, there's a startup competition on the way to South by Southwest. I honestly didn't even truly know what South by Southwest. I mean, I just had never been, right? So uh, give us a timestamp. This is like 2012? This is, this is 2012. Okay. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, March 2012, I, uh, you know, two weeks prior to South by Southwest, um, I get on this bus on the way to South by. You know, I told my boss that I need a week off. Um, he was a little weirded out, but he let me go. Uh, and, and then I got on the bus, and, you know, the bus is kind of simple. You get up, you pitch an idea, and then the team gravitates toward you. Um, and the team that gravitated toward me ended up being my, my, found, my co-founders. Wow. So how many co-founders do you have? So I have three. We started off with five. So there's always a story with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we started off with five. But uh, we have, today we have three co-founders that are, are still active. And everyone met on the bus. You didn't know each other beforehand? Well, I, I knew the, the, my one friend, my best mm-hmm. friend. I knew him. He was the only startup guy that we knew. We technically, the only other technical guy, engineer that we knew was his neighbor. And we knew him as well. <laughs> But we didn't know him. Literally, I met him because we, you know, went across the hall and knocked on the door, and then I began to pitch. Um, and and then he's like, "Well, I'm going on the startup bus as well." So that's that's kind of how this all happened. So the concept of the bus is you have 72 hours to launch a company, and what do you have to do? You have to come up with a pitch. Is it actually build something? Um, is there an award for it? What what's the actual overview of the startup bus? Yeah, so uh, it's so number one, <clears throat> number one, you have to apply to get on the startup bus. Okay. So you apply, and then it's broken by thirds: a third hustlers, third hackers, a third hipsters. Um, and 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 when you get on a bus, you pitch, and then teams form, and you have like a checklist of things. Also, by the way, you're stopping like every two hours doing something. Like there's a checklist. So, the like by your first stop, you have to have a company. You have to have a team. You, you have to have a product, and your first pitch is literally within two hours after the bus starts. And then, the, the, again, by the time the end of 72 hours, you, you have to have a company, uh, a, a, a demo, uh, and then uh, a customer or a partner. Wow. So at the end of the bus, did you have anything near like an MVP? What, what did you end up with? Yeah, it's actually a video online um, of a very, very crappy MVP. But, yeah, we did. We did. Uh we we made it to the finals, so we won our bus, and then we made it to the top ten. Uh, I actually didn't pitch because mm-hmm. in the beginning I actually would freak out. I'm kind of an introvert by by nature, um, so it was my co-founder that was pitching. Um, but we ultimately didn't win the whole bus. Uh, but literally walking off the stage, uh, the investor that took us to dinner is the investor that gave us our term sheet for our next round. Wow! So that was your seed round. Yes. And what'd you raise in that round? Uh, that was at $850,000. Wow. Did you take a stab at anything before a listener on the entrepreneurial side? Yeah, I did a lot of things. Uh, you know, so that's one of the things I think, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes, like, oh, you know, this is, you know, not one hitter. But, you know, I, uh, I mean, I was your guy, right? In college, uh, I used to drive up to uh, New York to the wholesale district and buy a bunch of stuff and go back down to Morgantown, West Virginia, and sell it uh, to, I threw parties. Um, you know, that was my job in school. 
Um, if I wasn't at the National Energy Technology Laboratory, I was at Best Buy <laughs> or I was throwing parties, right? Um, but in college, I actually had, uh, we had a, a, that promotions company actually grew to a lot more. And, and that was probably my first real organization um, where, where I partnered with my best friend. And we, we, we did a number of things. Um, but long story short, we, we, had a, we had an audience base that at first it started off as parties, but it, it turned into almost anything, right? We, we, we had a list of students that we could connect and, and market to. And think of it as the beginning of like an a email you know, campaign type of company. Um, so I did that. Uh, so I, you know, and then even at P&G, I had an idea prior, right before Listener. Um, obviously, it was a bad idea because it didn't pick up. But, you know, I, one of the things that I, I've learned is that I, I always tell people my ideas. And I, and I get up and I just start, you know, I don't care if you think you know it or like you're an engineer, you're a non-engineer. And um, at one point in time, I was co-managing um, an artist, and I am out in LA, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and I, I'm, um, and uh, we're in the studio with no ID, and I. So, so as a quick side note, there, no ID, world-renowned producer, recently known for producing Jay-Z's new album, 444. So that's amazing in itself that you're in the studio with him. I had a good friend of mine who was gaining a lot of traction in music, and I was helping him, and I, and I flew out to L.A. And, 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 and think about, like, I had this idea of this technology, right? This, this dog whistle, this high-frequency audio, and, and then I'm sitting around music. So my initial concept was, how about I put this in music and kind of create these second-screen um, or second listening type of experiences where you would listen to a song, you would unlock specific pieces of content, and 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 I went and I and I and, I, and I'm sitting there with no idea, and I, and I start to bring into this life what I call like the digital booklet or the digital album, uh, where uh, you can you can get all this additional content, and the, the artists can own it. Um, but long story short, you know he's sitting there, and you know he he probably does, you know I, I was just like he's like you should do this, like you should really do this, and um. I heard that. That was like the last time I heard it. And I was like, I got to do it. This is the idea. This is the company that I'm supposed to go out and, uh, and kind of go figure out. And, and honestly, a, a lot of conversations resulted in, in, in things like that. And now let's hear from our brand partner. I'm Adam Amar, the head of employee engagement here at WeWork, and I'm here with Michael Fitzsimmons. So Fitz, tell me a little bit about your story. You started WeWork around four years ago. You've done amazing things here. Um, I'm sure you've never thought you'd be at this point right now, but you know, tell me your story. To think back to four years ago when if you told me all the things that were going to happen in the past four years, I probably wouldn't have believed it. And for me, I really like good stories. I like telling them. I like consuming them. I like sharing them with the world. And I think WeWork has consistent been a great story in itself and, and been a, a source of thousands of stories from our from our members. And, you know, that that at, at points has, has been tiring and, and have needed a little boost. And, and whether it's being in a meeting or staying up late to, to go through a project, I feel like a partner in, in my growth and the company's growth has been Red Bull. I, I feel like it's a cliche, right? Like a, a computer and a Red Bull and lots of ideas, but I feel like it's been the fuel to keep me going. I know it keeps a lot of people here going as well. And even from members, you know, I feel like you 
you walk around a, a WeWork floor in, in any city around the world and you'll see, you know, people at work and, and Red Bulls by their side. And I feel like that's that's the, the scene of entrepreneurship here. Yeah, I feel like at WeWork you walk around and everyone from the co-founder of WeWork to the person just starting their company, like Red Bull is a staple in everybody's hands, everybody it's, drinking it at one time. It's kind of the threat. Now back to the art of the hustle. You guys raised that seed round. Did you know what you were doing? Did any of your co-founders have experience in raising capital before? Or is this just something you figured out as you went? Yeah. Uh, I'm all about a team. I, well, you know, I, I actually partnered with a couple startups. And honestly, if I, if you, I think you need a great team. If you don't have a great team, then at some point you're going to fall short. Um, but when you look at my, my co-founder in particular, uh, he was a startup guy. He had already raised $350,000 um, for his other project. Uh, he knew... Uh, you know, he was almost like a, a, a patriarch in the in the Cincinnati community. Uh, my other co-founders were developers. You know, I had a designer. I, I you know, I felt with the, with this group we could have built anything, like mm. like anything. Like we were probably the wrong group to tell a great idea to because we had engineers, we had marketers, we had business people, and we had uh, guys who know how to go out and get capital. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, usually you don't hear of a group so well-rounded well in the beginning, or at least yep. in the infancy of building the company. Um, okay, switching gears a little bit. So you have offices all over the place. You're based in Cincinnati. That's where kind of home base is. But yep. you have offices in New York and San Francisco. You're the CEO. You're constantly traveling. Like, How do you actually unwind when you get a chance? The reality is you don't. You know, and I, you know, and sometimes I, I see, I just think you don't. And I know that's weird. And people are like, Rodney, you need a vacation. You need to relax. And, and, and you need to do all these different things. And then I'm like, well, maybe we're just different entrepreneurs. And that's completely okay. But, but I, I, like, the, like the, the level of time and commitment that it takes to, to mature an idea, the level of time that it takes to learn, I have never ran a company this size ever before. Zuckerberg technically has never ran a company the size of Facebook ever before. So he has to evolve and grow at a rate that is almost uncomfortable. So I think, you know, now that I've done this for five years now, <clears throat> I've grown to just be comfortable with the lifestyle, right? It doesn't bother me that I take two to three flights a week. It doesn't bother me what city I am during the weekend. Uh, I you know I can unwind uh, with a, with an iPad and, and a headset in the middle of an airport, right? And and I think that's that's the power of like just instead of complaining about it and and being upset by it, I just embrace it. Just embrace it, right? Yeah, and you have you're actually involved in multiple organizations. So you also have something called Solo. What is that, and tell us why it's important to you to to have actually started that and be involved with it. I would go home, you know, families that, and everyone's always asking to borrow money. <laughs> Let me get you know twenty dollars, five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, and you know you're never going to get it back, and you're okay with that. But then you kind of get annoyed a little bit, you know. And I always thought, you know, at that moment I'm I'm flying back, and I'm said, I wish it just was an easier way to just borrow money from people, like. Like, not like a, like, I don't want to apply to a service or a payday. I just, like, I want to post that I need $100. And I want Nate to look at me 
you know, look at my social, look at my score, look at who I am, and just give me the money. Right? I don't necessarily need to know you. <laughs> so, you know, I had, I, basically, I'm all excited. I'm like, ah, oh, this is dope. I like this. It's like a marketplace for borrowers and lenders. But it's it's not what you think about it from a peer-to-peer set or like what lending tree or lending club. No, this is like Mike borrowing from Tom and Tom delivering it to Susie. And like you can put your reason and it's like small value. So I actually, I'm flying to New York and it was like right when they announced title. You know, I've gotten close with folks at Rock Nation because they're one of my investors. And I, and, I, and I run to Beehive, one of my mentors. I'm like, Beehive, I got another one. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm running my mouth about solo and he's like yo yo this is this is we should do this i got a bunch of people in the room um a lot of a lot of my friends whoever at the time was listening uh and we started to brainstorm we submitted ip um uh two years ago and then travis holloway um who was one of my good friends was in that room he's now the ceo we all we made everyone co-founders uh he has his team we put a great team around him uh he just closed on seven hundred thousand dollars He's been full time since January, and uh, the beta, the beta is out. It's private, but uh, he's actually going to be on stage at Money Twenty Twenty, and I think that's when we're going to open up the full beta for for folks to uh, dive in. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, super impressive, and it's also just incredible how you can go from ideation to execution so quickly with your ideas. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from having a great network and just knowing people that are either extremely ambitious in different verticals and also well-rounded. So you're spending times with prominent people in all walks of life. What's some of the best advice that you've received and who did it come from? One thing is that I'm mostly a sponge. But, I mean, advice is, you know, I, I, advice that I got really early on is, you know, uh, take every meeting, respond to every email. Yes, I, at this stage, I have the weirdest people that email me, but I still respond. Um, I still acknowledge. Uh, I'm accessible, and I, I promised to this person that I would always do that. And, and this person responded to me. All these people that I mentioned, I didn't necessarily know. You know, when I when I was first introduced to Rock Nation, I didn't know Rock Nation. I, I was introduced to Rock Nation by uh, Corey Martin, who's a lawyer. I didn't know Corey. Corey saw me pitch at an event <laughs> and he asked me you know we were fellow Howard guys and he's like hey you know I think you know my, my guy at Rock would, would like to talk to you and and, and then he walked me over uh, all of these guys in that entire value chain are friends now um, and so be accessible be open have those meetings talk to people um, your network starts the, the day you talk to someone and, and even though you may not know that person, I just think value each and every conversation. Uh, but those are just some things I think are really important. You know, this is hard. And, and you know, you know, it's okay if, 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 you, if you're not ready for it. You know, I, there's way more talented people that work for me than myself. But could they do this? Probably not. It takes a certain level of crazy. And you match certain level of crazy with a certain level of intelligence and, and, and then ingenuity. And all of a sudden you have innovation. And that's all that this is. Those are just some of the things that I, I think are just important nuggets. Well, what do you think your biggest strength is as the CEO of Listener? And what is an area that you really are trying to improve on? Yeah. You know, when I look at, so when I look at the, 
the next phase of my development. You know, I think that let's think of the things that I, I've learned how to do really well. Right. Uh, I, I've definitely learned how to, you know, from my strengths, right. I'm a visionary. Uh, I am, like I always said, I'm a damn good B student at a lot of things, right? I'm not an A, not an A sales guy. I'm not an A manager. I'm not an A anything. I'm a B. I'm like a bottom B too. Like, what's that, like 84, like 85? <laughs> like, I'm not like an 88. Like, I'm not a B plus. I'm a B. Um, and uh, I'm okay being a B, right? Uh, but in, when I look at my role today, uh, what I'm good at, I'm, I'm good at leading. I'm good at innovation. I, I'm good at prototyping. I, I'm good at being an inventor and breaking down walls. Uh, one of my one of my investors said, um, a couple of investors have said this. It's like, no, I ultimately invested in Rodney because uh, he he had the the means and the passion to break through any wall. But then when he broke through that wall, uh, he 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 actually has the capacity. To, to close the deal and and a lot of people you know can have the idea but sometimes they don't know how to execute and get it and get across the line right mm-hmm. i'm all about getting across the line the the things that i have to learn how to be you know I, I gotta i gotta continue to grow i gotta still still get more organized um i think i be, i have to do better time management i do think i, I have to learn how to better take care uh, of me myself um i've given a lot of my time to to my ideas i gotta start giving uh, let my ideas give back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that's you know really really important. I definitely think I got to be a better manager. I'm not a good manager, you know. I'm type A. I, I expect you to be great, and if you're not great, I think you can exit. Um, that's my like management rule. It's probably not the best management rule because there's no development there. I don't really know how to develop people. Um, so uh, things like that are, are things that I'm working on, um, and also you know continue to learn from the people that have done it before me and, and, and are still doing it. Mm. So we already talked about what a robust network you have doing all these different things and different ventures. Um, who are a couple people that you haven't met yet that you'd love to meet just because you find them fascinating? Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Elon Musk fan. Um, you know, I'm a big Jack Dorsey. I'm a big, uh, I, I think it would be Elon and it would be uh, Bezos. Mm. Right. Two of the best. My favorite entrepreneur tech book is the Everything Store. Amazon, arguably the, the most valuable company in the world, sometimes, right? You, you know, give or take. Let's not talk about specifics. But if you read that book, he had a hell of a time raising his first million dollars. Like he even his first million, he had to take like ten thousand dollars and five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. It was like tons of people in his cap table. Um, but you know, when you read that his story, you look at his struggle how he started to hire, how he continued to grow that company, the way he started to think. Uh, I've done a lot of the things very similar to that, right? Um, yeah, when I first started, I had this ambitious thing of, like, I'm going to use sound to connect every device. No one understands that. That's basically, like, I want a store that sells everything. So then you start, like, one thing. Where in his case, it was about selling books. For, in our case, it was like, hey, we're just going to launch a music and do this music thing. But then as you continue to go, like today, you know, we're doing payments, we're doing music, we got cars talking to each other using sound, you know, uh, we're on chips. This was the real vision. The problem is that it's very hard to understand that in the beginning. Um, so I just think there's a lot of things that I would relate to with Bezos. Um, 
and then, and then Musk. Uh, Musk. Is, I just I like people that are badasses and take risks. And I think both of these guys were willing to take risks, even even after PayPal. You know, he put all his money back into Tesla and SpaceX, and it was like a video. Or like, I mean, he he almost went broke. Yeah, that was a. I mean, people were not buying this whole electric car thing <laughs> when he started to pitch that. Well, it's funny. I saw someone recently tweet at him about like, wow, Elon Musk posts some really great pictures on Instagram. He must live a great life. And he responded to the tweet and said, well, that's because no one wants to see all the pictures of the stress and the hard nights that I go through to build this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, people forget that these guys are crawling, scratching, doing whatever it takes to win. And it took them a long time to get where get to where they are. Yeah. And, you know, you talk, so I hear entrepreneurs, oh, you know, it's not working out or it's tough. You don't got it tough. Right. That's shot. <laughs> that sounds tough what Elon's doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, landing, uh, a, a, you know, a remote control rocket on, on, a, on, a, on a freaking square in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Life changing work for everyone, not yes. just him, but for it's going to impact the world. Yes. Pretty amazing. What's some advice that you didn't receive that you wish you had that you could pass on to aspiring entrepreneurs, especially the people here in the WeWork community? Yeah, you know, I, I wish people would have told me how hard it was, really, you know, how much it takes. Like, don't sugarcoat it. Uh, like, uh, it's, it, it is raw. Um, I, I think that's what I would say. Uh, one of my biggest things is also, like, um, everything takes a lot longer than you think. Um, so add tax to it. Yeah. Right. So yes, if you think it's going to take six months to build, it's probably going to be eight. If it's going to take uh, two weeks to get the check, it's probably going to be four. Uh, everything takes longer. And I, I, I think, uh, that makes sense. Um, I would also tell people to, uh, sandbag, sandbag your results. Yeah. And I, and I know that's weird, but you want to, you want people around you to always know that you deliver. Right. So, yes, you may have these ambitious goals of flying to the moon, but tell people like you're just going to like go to orbit. Mm. Right. Uh, because you have to create. Uh, you have to create a history of delivering results. And it's like and, and, and it's very, very important for investors to see that. It's very, very important for people around you to see that. Um, I didn't learn that in too well. in I was the. We're going to do all these things, and then when we witnessed it, it almost like we let I was letting people down. But then I'm like, wait a minute! But we also did, we still did good things. So over deliver on an under commitment. Exactly, uh, it's, but it's really really important because mm-hmm. uh, these relationships are depending on you to do something, yeah. right? Uh, I think that's that's stuff that I wish I would have told people. Also, like, also when you go to work, people think that oh, like you need to be friends. You do not need to be friends with people at work. You, if you go to work at a job, it's good that maybe you have people that like and friends. But like this startup war that you're on, you're about winning the war and getting this company. And you want people that oppose the opposition. And I don't need to be best friends with my sharpshooter or be best friends with my medic. I want the best damn medic. I want the best damn sharpshooter. And as long as we do not like the other side, we do. We do, that's all that matters. And I and I just wish some people like would told me tell tell me that and tell others that um the other thing i would say is do not make emotional decisions we people just inherently make emotional decisions Um, take emotion completely out of your entrepreneur journey 
make rational, data-driven decisions. Emotion will make all your responses worse. I promise. Yeah, that's that's great feedback. Yep. And that's something that a lot of people do. So it's it's good to keep in mind. Last question. If you could trade jobs with anyone, who would it be and why? If I trade jobs with anyone, <laughs> um, it would probably be Bezos. Amazon is just probably the only other company that I think I could have created. When you think about me and you think about just the four degrees, right? The supply chain, the economics, the, the finance, mm -hmm. the fact that I create great technology. And when you look at the macro impact of what Amazon is and trying to go out and do with, you know, how they take over e-commerce businesses, you know, the fact that they're getting to retail, the fact that they they have electronic devices, they have streaming services, uh, like um, they think in a very, very, uh, like if the new, if there was a new internet, you could take, replace internet and put Amazon because there, there could be a point in time where they literally offer all of the digital services that we need. Um, due to their audience base. Uh, and I, I think that's how I am. Like, Bezos doesn't say, like, he's now doing tickets. He doesn't go, oh, Amazon is not a ticketing company. Right? I wouldn't be surprised if Amazon, like, I mean, Amazon's already making original content. Mm -hmm. But are they an entertainment company? Right, you, you can't put them in a box. That's my point. And, and I, you cannot put me in a box. If you think you can try to label me in any capacity, you have already lost. Well, I'm rooting for you, man. I know you're going to go get it. <laughs> Appreciate you coming by. If people want to learn more about Listener or reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I'm Rodney B. Williams. Uh, I'm pretty much, that's my handle on everything, Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can email me. It's just Rodney at Listener. People do it all the time. I actually respond. Uh, outside of that, dude, I, I would I love all the support, and I, I'm really appreciative. And, and then I, I always tell people, like, if I had one thing to tell you, is like, stop listening to my story and create your own. <laughs> that's solid you just heard Art of the Hustle with Rodney Williams founder and CEO of Listener this episode was presented by Red Bull for more about Art of the Hustle go to iHeartRadio.com slash Art of the Hustle Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast Math & Magic Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. 